do not attempt to adjust your settings. We have commandeered this channel and are now streaming our pirate broadcast. This is the pirate stream. Welcome to the Pirate Stream Dialectical Dissidents, episode 23. Nice to see you guys again. And of course, today, as you guys might have heard in previous shows and, and going forward, it will be Courtney and myself, and we'll be discussing whether we're not we're going to be you know, considering a third mic in general. But I think we like the idea of having somebody come, you know, intermittently through Tennessee and mm -hmm. join us. We talked yeah. Catherine Austin Fitz has said tentatively that she's going to be joining us upcoming soon. So, uh, and of course that's, uh, Scott decided to move on to other projects. We wish him the best. I think he's going to do great work. So rock and roll. Um, and again, uh, starting today, thanks to you guys and your outstanding donations to the last American vagabond. We have got, uh, we have the new camera we talked about, but we also have a new audio interface. So right out of the gate, let us know if everything sounds okay. If you guys can hear us, make sure everything is working properly. And, uh, you know, we also have some fun little things here that like some sound noises I might use here and there, but probably not, but we'll see. <laughs> but uh, we, we have a lot to talk about today and some and some interesting discussions. As you know, I've been really hyper focused on a few things recently, and I've been wanting to get to a more uh, COVID-19, uh, the uh, extra proteins, the the DNA contamination and where this has gone since. So we might talk about that a little bit today. Some discussion of Texas. Patcom and some different things, as well as some uh, the artificial intelligence, Taylor Swift, and a really interesting thing that I'm looking forward to Courtney talking about that I'd like to learn more on in general. So first off, how are you today? It's always good to see you. You too. Yeah. I, I'm doing well. It's been uh, crazy busy. As we're going to get into, I spoke for the Senate for the first time in my life. And that That's was cool. Yeah, it was cool. It was terrifying, but it was a good experience. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> Oh, I mean, I, you know, my, I just, it's, it's so hard. Like, well, just right, right out of the gate. Do, what do you, do you feel like when you're there, do you feel like anybody is genuinely concerned? Like, is this all just manipulation? Like I'm so jaded about every single one of them, you know? <laughs> so it's hard for me to go up there and think that they're truly listening to what you have to say. Did you feel re receptive to that? Actually, I absolutely did. I was actually invited by Senator Frank Nicely, who is mm -hmm. wonderful, a real patriot, very awake. He really knows what's going on. He's really fighting for our personal liberties. So, um, yeah, he actually asked me to come speak. So I didn't feel like I was, you know, forcing myself upon them. Yeah, uh, yeah. But it was still kind of nerve-wracking and terrifying. Um, but I didn't realize until afterwards when I watched the video that there were a couple of people kind of like, it looked like they were kind of making faces. I'm sure, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, I'm glad I didn't notice that at the time. Uh, but for the most part, uh, they really were very curious. Uh, they were unaware of the topic that I was talking about, most mm -hmm. of them. Uh, not all of them, but it, certainly it was new to them for the most part. And they were genuinely interested and concerned and wanted to know what we could do. And they actually asked me to help draft a bill. That seems to be a little slower than I'd like. I'm a... Right. I'm not a most, I'm not a particularly patient person in general, yeah. uh, so I tend to want to get things moving as quickly as possible. But I've been on them, and it sounds like they're doing something called a caption bill, which basically means they're it, it's a topic presented, but they don't know the details of it yet. It, hmm. it sounds like a placeholder type thing. Yeah, it's a little frustrating because uh, the things that I've proposed, it sounds like they have to make separate bills. Right, and I've been informed they only get fifteen. Uh, so per month, so huh. it would have, so some of the other things are going to have to wait till next month. This is stuff that I'm not uh, familiar with. 
Sorry, I just brought this up to yeah. look at the chat, but that that's, it's, that's interesting. So like, I wonder what the logic that of that is. Why wouldn't they be able to just, yeah. Interesting. I'm not sure. Do you, do you well, have any- I, I mean, I, I was not taught civics uh, in school, so I, I don't know the whole protocol and I certainly am not familiar with uh, specifically in Tennessee. I don't know if there are different um, protocols, but I'm guessing it's the same for all states. I, mm-hmm. I, I'm really ignorant right now. The truth is, I just don't know. Yeah, right. Um, this is not something I, it's designed that way. I think like it's it so is. muddled and, and hard to understand intentionally. So you know, yeah, so. and we're not taught it. It's like right, not right. a basic you so know, you, conversation. You, you look to them like, well, you know, they're the they're the you know what's the right word for it? You know, the priests of yeah, this of this right. you know, whole they're, thing. They're, they're the authorities. I mean, yeah, I basically right. said that. I said I'm not a policy person. I'm not familiar. I trust that you mm. will be able to handle that. Yeah, I, I really came <laughs> into. Yeah, let's hope, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and I, I'm not even an expert on the topic. You mm-hmm. know, I really presented it as I'm coming as a concerned citizen. This stuff is uh, new on my radar, but it is very pressing. Tell them what it is and we'll come back I to it at, back. before we get to the COVID stuff since sure. we started with it. What's it called? Um, so it's called Natural Asset Companies and uh, it started back in uh, 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 October. They had presented, I think it was October 4th, where uh, they presented, it was the Intrinsic Exchange Group which is partnered with the New York Stock Exchange. So the New York Stock Exchange was double dipping in here. They were were hoping to profit on both sides, but they were partnered with this intrinsic exchange group. The CEO is Douglas Eggers. He has some great videos talking about how Richie thought he was going to get off of this or they, Um, but it was backed by the Rockefeller Foundation, IBD, IBD Labs, Abadir Ventures. Abadir Ventures is a venture firm that specializes in healthcare technology. You might ask, why would they be concerned with uh, seizing our land? Uh, I think there is a definite correlation there, but we can address that later. Entertaining ideas, what well, could not find anything on. Some of the sub uh, partners are people like the World Wildlife Organization, mm, the brainchild yes. of Julian Huxley, right. famously coined the term transhumanism in 1957, although Max Moore claims that he did. Um, <laughs> but uh he was also one of the progenitors of UNESCO and his very famous uh, quote about how we have to come to love and appreciate, I'm paraphrasing, eugenics. Right. Uh, so this is very much all part of a Malthusian yeah. agenda. And the basically what they did was this partnership was to propose a rule uh, to, to the SEC to have a proposed rule to put a new category of companies up on the New York Stock Exchange. So the very important, there's a ton of reasons why this would be devastating for uh, not just farmers, but I was presenting to the agricultural committee. So I really Mm -hmm. tailored it to farmers, but this would be devastating just to the United States of America, to all the people. Uh, It it opens up for not just our federal lands to be uh, managed and uh, owned by foreign adversaries, but it also, uh, it's commodifying the resources. So typically, when you commodify something, it's about production value. Mm-hmm. This is the opposite. It's part of a degrowth agenda where they're they're calling it low yield or no yield. It's part of the net zero. The goal is to get to the 30 by 30 agenda that the Biden administration, uh, you know, passed uh, legislation on and executive orders on. And uh, they renamed it to America the Beautiful because <laughs> 30 by 30 didn't sound so great. And uh, people were rising up to what it was. It was part of this. Uh, agenda that by 2030, only uh, that 30% of the land and water could not be used or inhabited by human beings. This is a stepping stone to what's called the half-earth agenda, hmm. which is, was uh, promulgated by E.O. Wilson, who's a biologist who wrote a book called Half-Earth. And that, that is exactly what it sounds like. Only half of the earth, land, and water could hmm. be used or inhabited by humans. And uh, it the 
the thing that was also really, you know, egregious about this and quite terrifying in my opinion is that it opens up for private land Mm -hmm. to be not just owned, but managed. And I think that's really important because it's not just about ownership. It means you could own the land and there could be, for, for instance, a conservation easement on this land where you might not even know. Let's say you've inherited a second, third generation mm-hmm. and they've enrolled in a conservation easement that gets put into this knack. And then they, the knack can decide that you can't farm on it. Let's say it's oil. Tell them what this stands for, because I don't think we've touched oh, on that yet. So oh, what, what is what is NAC and what does it mean? So they know what yep. we're talking about. It's natural asset company. Okay. Uh, so what they're looking to do is commodify things like, you know, the resources, uh, natural resources. So it could be minerals that could be extracted. It could be oil. Like using the stock be... market kind of thing. Like, so they're going to be gambling on natural so assets in the same way. Yes. Okay. So it's a, it's similar to derivatives and, you mm-hmm. know, kind mm-hmm. of they're, they're out of thin air, literally thin right. air. Right. They're commodifying and the way that they would monetize. So they think that they're, this is why I still, even after they withdrew the proposal, spoke mm-hmm. to the Senate because they're guesstimating that they have upwards of five quadrillion dollars to make. Ooh. I don't really think they're just going to let five quadrillion dollars go. Right. Um, they're, I, that's a lot of money on the table. Mm-hmm. You know, it's hypothetical money, but the way that they're going to monetize is through carbon pricing and carbon credits. Right. So exactly. carbon pricing, pricing is tied to taxes. It's just a fancy way of saying giving people tax incentives for mm-hmm. getting their net zero. Uh, you know, getting their reducing their carbon emissions and uh, the carbon uh, offsets are carbon credits. So okay. you could get uh, carbon credits and that would be a way of uh, monetizing. So and since we got into but they're it, monetizing, let's, I just want to start m- with mention this. it's air, water, photosynthesis, right? like land. Yeah. Just anything natural. Like, so yes. that, that's, so is there examples of this before this NAC per, yes. per, uh, proposal? This- Yes. So this has been long in the works. So I just want to say that this has been withdrawn. This mm, proposal mm. has been withdrawn, which is a huge win. That does not mean we rest. Right, uh, right. They, they will rebrand, which is why I've moved on to talking about the SEC proposed rule on ESG for farming. Uh, the uh, USDA put $3.1 billion into climate smart commodity project. Right. I can talk a little bit about that, but that's horrifying. So these things need to be stopped. And I do think that there's legislation that I talked to. I talked to our Senate about mm-hmm. uh, putting some sanctions against things like conservation easements that they're now calling agricultural easements. You know, they rename, rebrand. They've even co-opted the term regenerative. I got a lot of pushback on my show uh, for when uh, we were talking about rege- how they only want regenerative uh, farming, mm-hmm. but they've co-opted the term. So it, it doesn't so like mean- sustainable kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. So give me the horror story yeah. here, right? So what, what, not that what they're proposing, but what do you see in this that is so alarming? Why, okay. what, what could this become that is like the nightmare scenario, why they should be concerned so about it? So give like an example. So let's say that you were to purchase a land that was very rich in lithium mm-hmm. and you were going to start a lithium mining business mm-hmm. and uh, this land uh, then gets enrolled. It Maybe it was land that you inherited. It was from your great grandfather mm-hmm. and uh, you, so you, you didn't know that they, they enrolled in a conservation easement, which was a great tax break for them at the time. Right. Uh, and so now it's listed on the New York Stock Exchange and China buys up a ton of this property that happens to be in, on your land with a conservation no, easement. No, not buying it like you own it, but buy, buying into the, the but NAC. Like a, like Yeah, so yeah. exactly. It's like a, so you're, it's like a, it's like a casino in a way. You're gambling yeah. on. Okay, so what are you gambling on? 
So like whether what happens. I'll just give you the the end of that. Oh, I'm sorry. Working scenario, but so now they uh, now they're invested in this property that you own, Mm -hmm. and they determine that you cannot drill anything on that land. So you can't drill the lithium that you thought was going to be Mm. your business and you're going to be your bread, bread and butter. You can't do that because it does not meet their ecosystem management services Mm. requirements, you know, of low yield, no yield. But here's where it gets even more sinister is they can start drilling. You know, China doesn't (laughs) want, they they have their lithium, you know, uh, monopoly and uh, they can start drilling. And what would happen is it would be delisted from the New York Stock Exchange. Okay. But now they have stock in it. So they have management rights of that land so they can keep going. And so, this, again, this was something that was not accepted or the it proposal was not was denied, accepted, but, but they it's are, been a, a growing concept. It's been growing. So when you ask how lo- it's been in the works for a very long time mm-hmm. and NACs exist in most other countries. So uh, what's going on with the Netherlands farmers, the right, French, right. a lot of this is tied to NACs. They have NACs there, natural asset companies. Some people mm. call it NAC. Some people are calling it NAC. Uh, I know American Stewards of Liberty call it the NAC attack. Or NAC, mm-hmm. Oh, I call it the NAC attack. They call it the NAC scam. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, they're different. They, they pronounce it differently, but it stands for natural asset company. Okay. So back and, in, this goes all the way back. I think 1973 was one of the first wow. books okay. on, uh, you know, valuing natural capital. Uh, and there have been several along the way. Uh, uh, Dieter Helm is a, a big figure in this, and he wrote a book on valuing natural capital. And that's the thing that we need to stop now because the Biden administration has jumped on this. Mm-hmm. So one of the other things that happened was back in 2012, the UN did a white paper on new accounting principles. Okay. So because obviously generally accepted accounting principles would not apply here. Right. Uh, because you know, they're, they're advocating degrowth and no, non-production. <laughs> so that doesn't, you can't value that. It's under like guise of climate change, I imagine. Yes, right. Okay. It's all yeah. under the climate, climate, yeah, the climate crisis mm-hmm. is how they're going to mm-hmm. fix it. Um, so they did in 2012, it's called the SEEA ecosystem accounting okay. SEA stands for systems of environmental economic accounting okay. and it's voodoo economics. It's mm-hmm. like, it's just nonsense, but there, this was their way of creating a new accounting system to value natural resources. Okay. And the Biden, so in 2012, they had that and 90 countries at that time had already signed on to NAX. Okay. Wow. But the Biden administration back in G- January, 2023, created their own version of it's the same accounting system where mm-hmm. they're valuing natural resources. And they've, they've created the United States variation of the UN's, you know, adopting now, the UN. Is they that also, the proposal? That no. was, okay. So what's his, what's the thing he's proposing called? The, the thing that well, you said the Biden administration put forward. Uh, what was the, so, so they've done a couple of things. So, they, so they can be on the lookout for it. Right. Like, right. It? Um, so it's, let me see if I can find the name of the, uh, it was a, um, the, the accounting system they did in January 2023. Let me see. Uh, While you're looking in general, like, so yeah. it sounds to me like, you know, this is obviously overlap with the whole ESG mindset, which in and of itself is sort of like the same concept where you're gambling on whether or not these entities achieve, you know, their their set goals for the uh, sta- uh, sustainable development goals kind of concept, right? And so like that's, and, and, and they'll get benefits and negatives based on that, but this sounds more like specifically investing in you know but that that's what i was curious about so what are they actually investing so, in go ahead okay so just two things first so uh they did put nature on the balance sheet and that was the executive order january 19 2023 uh they released the national strategy to put nature 
uh, on the nation's balance sheet. And then the other thing that I was talking about is this. It's called the long name. That's like National Strategy to Develop Statistics for Environmental Economic Decisions, a U.S. system of natural capital accounting. This is the natural capital accounting. Mm. Um, And that's been around for a very long time. That's what really needs to be stopped. Uh, And Associated Environmental Economic Statistics. And it was done by the Office of Science and Technology Policy, Office of Management and Budget Department of Commerce. And it was January 2023. And the other thing I was mentioning was called the uh, America the Beautiful. And that's part of the Biden administration's 15-year green economy agenda. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it really was this 30 by 30 agenda that is to the plan is by 2030 to have only th- to have 30 percent you know in uninhabitable and non-use for humans and so what's the so what to what end to just preserve it is the idea so like the, is what yeah, saying? the buzzword is conservation right so it's all under the guise that they're going to conserve the land uh but by conserving it they mean that it cannot be used so we already have a huge push for conservation in this country actually in this state there's you know tons of uh, you know, projects done in the name of conservation. I think this needs to be pushed back. Uh, you know, it's great to preserve the land, but honestly, the, I think the people who preserve the land best are uh, people who live off that land and they value that land. <laughs> uh, so typically they create great, beautiful ecosystems. Uh, and so, yeah, it's done under the name of conservation, although they're starting to change that around and call it like agricultural or agroeconomics or, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, no, I do notice, I think, a difference from your mic. I'm not sure why, oh. but maybe it's a connection thing we'll look at next time. Okay. But, in, but in any case, <clears throat> I, I'm curious what, what, yeah, no, we can okay. hear you though. It's okay. just, it just sounds like a, there might just, just a slight difference. I'm okay. not sure. But um, what are they exactly investing in? Like, is it about the outcome of something or is it? Yeah, it's about the, uh, it's about the net zero. So they're investing in these carbon credits. They're investing in the conservation of this land. So it's, this is why I say it's like voodoo economics. There's not a value. They're trying to place value on the natural. So it's essentially like, what would the water be worth to the land itself? What's the water worth to the fish there, to the, to the land, to, Mm -hmm. to the air, you know, that as it, it goes through the crep cycles, you know. I don't know. Well, cycle, I guess what I'm trying to get at is so okay, so a company, a, ch- a yeah. government, a company puts money into what you're discussing. Then wh- what is the benefit for them doing that? Are they going to make money if you achieve certain metrics, or is it if you don't do certain things? If like, you don't do things. So, if okay. you don't farm, if you don't drill, if you, you preserve, you conserve the land, then you're going to get okay. certain scores. I get it. Okay, get so it's credit. definitely an ESG type of concept. It's and an so, extension of ESG. Yeah, and so which is the, why so that's the next thing. I'm yeah. Apparently, the SEC did propose this was back in 2022, mm-hmm. and I just realized this. But the SEC proposed a rule where all farmers have to comply with ESG, okay. and then the climate smart commodities came out of that because the climate smart commodities are all about censoring, monitoring, tracking your greenhouse gas emissions. And so, I mean, that's really what they're. The lower your greenhouse gas emissions are, the higher, you know, your carbon offset would right, be. And right. that's what they're investing in, is these carbon offsets. That's so, this is just such a... It's so diabolical. Well, you know, what's crazy to me is that you can have such a prominent... I mean, even if you argue that there's a lot of prominent people, which there are, who are mainstream level... But the mindset that this is the right thing to do. There is a very prominent, large part of the conversation that thinks this is complete nonsense. And, and yet, it's just this... 
you know, it just they just rush forward because they. I mean, it's it, it's not like some fringe part of the community. We're talking like high level Harvard, MIT people oh, yeah. that will stand up and be like, "That's not the truth. Carbon is not the problem." You know, and yet yeah. we just still drive these things in. We, well, I they just tried to sneak it through during Christmas. I was like, "This reminds me of uh, our income tax as a Christmas present." You know, in the Federal Reserve, men on Jekyll Island, like that's kind of what they did. Yeah, and it was very few people knew about this. They've mm-hmm. been working on this for decades. I mean. Uh, Nancy Pelosi uh, presented a bill back in 1992. The and uh, talk about left right false dialectic. Mm-hmm. The Conservation Act of 1980, I think, paved the way for all of this. And that was the Republicans in 1980. I mean, they, both sides have been pushing forth with there was a biodiversity treaty. Um, it didn't get passed, but they, you know, this has been in the works for a very long time. But yeah. very few people knew about it. They, I think, they really thought they were going to sneak it through. It was Marlo Oaks, the state treasurer of Utah. Makes sense, right? The Western uh, states are they have a lot of land and mm-hmm. farmland and a lot of these conservation lands, too. Uh, so it was definitely a threat to them. And uh, he was the state treasurer. He recognized the financial implications of this. And he got together 22 other state treasurers to push back against this, particularly push back against the uh, the period of the comments. The, the comments were originally only going like to be they a care about those anyway. <laughs> no, super important. Yeah. Um, because they never they, respect them. I mean, you know, people line up and come in to give their negative comments about what's going to happen. And well, this was like a submission. And uh, the reason it was so important. So originally it was a 21 days, which was unprecedented. Mm-hmm. Normally you have 30 to 45 days, sometimes even 90 days. And for something this big, 21 days was a very short period. They got it extended. It was going to be January 18th. I was originally supposed to speak the 17th due to the weather. It was postponed to the next week. Mm-hmm. They actually withdrew the proposal on the 16th. But they withdrew it because he raised the sounded the alarm, pushed back, extended the comments period. And then 25 attor- state attorney generals got together and they presented a legal argument for why it's unlawful. Oh, good. And the fact that they pushed back the, and that they put that comment through, laid out the case that everybody who had submitted a comment would have legal standing. Mm-hmm. It really was about getting the numbers. And they felt the pushback because they withdrew. Good. Good. I'm, I'm glad to see that it can have an effect. But, you know, yep. so, so often as we see in like, uh, you know, like in California under Senator Pan, there was a very famous, I forget the bill, but about, about essentially forcing vaccination for childhood vaccines right. at the time, long before COVID. And it was unparalleled. I mean, we're talking thousands upon thousands. And people did videos with like super high speed, go fast forward, where yeah. you see them one after another, one after another. And, and all of them were like, no, this is terrible, the constitutional rights. And then it was like a hundred people that came in to be like, yay. And they passed it anyway. You know, it's like, why even have the process if it really yeah. doesn't matter? If they, a resounding no, and you still go forward. It's like the illusion of democracy, as yeah. always. Yeah. But I definitely feel like this this very topic is just it's just indicative of where this all is going, right? I mean, we can see that they're trying to monetize everything, they're trying to cr- control everything as well as kind of drive everything that is natural away. like I think well, I mean, it's weird because the argument is that this is about preserving, right. right? But at the same time, I don't believe that's actually what they're trying to accomplish. There's probably going to be secondary things that happen in these areas we don't even see, but it just seems like an anti like aside from the said stated idea of preservation, very anti-human in its in its own right. You know, yeah. a lot of these things do, and I mean that may be confusing for some people unless you know the bigger picture of all of this seemingly undermining what is natural and human. And it's you know it's but it's just very concerning to me because how what does this amount to? 
is this more controlled land that is elite, is unconstitutional in and of itself by the federal government? Are they are we no longer allowed to access these preserved areas? You know, yeah. it's, it's just crazy. Well, we're not allowed to use them. So I I think it is. A, I mean, it's absolutely illegal. It's unlawful mm-hmm. for them to uh, put natural resources up for commodification in right. any capacity. Um, and to regulate it then to, you know, then tell you that you can't farm on your own land, you can't drill on your own land. Mm. Um, and then, of course, the federal lands would be uh, preserved under that as well. And but they would commodify it. Yeah. Um, but I think you're right about it being part of this uh, anti-human agenda, because mm-hmm. I, I think it's a way they can not only bankrupt people because they'll stop they'll force a lot of farmers to have to sell their land cheap because of the regulations. Yeah, that's the way to think about it, the current farming issue. You're yeah, right. That makes they the won't most be sense. able to keep up with all the different regulations or the different uh, protocols that they'll require. Hmm. And it's going to price farmers out initially. Yeah. They'll have to sell their land very cheap. So now they're seizing up the land that can no longer be used. And then they can use it for whatever their purposes might be. But the, it's a great way to starve people. Yeah. It's a great way to uh, you know, strip them of their resources to be able to heat themselves, cool themselves, to have energy. I mean, you're, we're talking mm-hmm. about oil, drilling oil they right. can't use. Uh, so we become, you know, dependent and we, they can bring us to our knees. Yeah. And I think the other part of this is a way of pushing people into cities, uh, these 15-minute cities. You know, I, I talked about the UN Centennial, this mm-hmm. AI world society that they're building, and Ukraine is the hub of that. Right. And I, I do think that also they're going to need to have land, uh, or not land necessarily, but resources and space, so some degree land, uh, for creating all of this uh, technological infrastructure. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, the the robots, the AI world society, the metaverse, and they're going to need resources. And there's a... a a huge part of me that thinks they're, they're, they need space to terraform. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I know I sounded a little crazy. I, I said that on Twitter. I feel like a very few people got it. They're like, okay, that's a little off the wall. But if you think it about it, we have fake meat. We have fake salt now. Uh, you know, they want to dim the sun's rate. They're creating fake ecosystems. We have fake everything. Everything. <laughs> so it seriously feels like that. That requires a lot of energy, requires mm-hmm. space. And I think that. You know, I think all of it is encompassed in this agenda. And I yeah. think it's just incredibly diabolical. I agree. I, I agree. I mean, even just as I'm sitting here, because like when you brought this up the other day, I hadn't heard about it, you know, yeah. and I, I, but the concept seems very familiar, but I hadn't heard about the specific iteration. And just as I'm trying to think about it, it's just it's evolving in your mind, you know, the different yeah. ways. But I think you're right. I think this very well may be solely about the farming issue you know what i mean like yeah. i think it's bigger than that but you oh, could see bigger. but you could see how that one thing is so dramatically impactful across the world yeah. and and you know even just the, the it's the control over what you can do for yourself you're reliant on them for yep. everything i mean that that's probably just one facet of this large thing but it is but terrifying. I mean, saudi arabia can invest in a knack tell you can, and they could invest in a knack that's uh, on land that's in texas that's very oil rich why that's and even... they decide you can't drill i know americans can't drill there but they can they delist it and now they've got you know monopoly not just on the oil mm-hmm. you know there but on our own soil i just don't understand on a side note why like look it's 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 a an uncomfortable thing especially okay. in the two-party discussion sure. to have you know like a chinese businessman should have every right to buy anything anywhere as anybody else should sure. including you know but we should be concerned that they're surreptitiously doing it for the government our yeah. government does it every day around the world right but the government's doing so which does happen today yeah. i don't understand why that's even legal like why would you allow a foreign government to buy land inside of another country like that's just a 
I don't know. That and seems crazy. China, because of the, the structure of their government, mm-hmm. most of the people who are buying, I'm not saying there aren't, you know, affluent uh, business people who may be investing in property all over the world mm-hmm. uh, and certainly in the United States. But countries like China, a lot of the people who can afford to do so are part of the elite class and they oh, are yeah. part of the government. Same in this country, right? I mean, yeah, I, I would yeah, argue yeah. it's yeah. pretty much the same and we should be concerned about that. Yeah. Like it's not, that's what I mean is that we shouldn't dismiss the fact that there might be that, uh, that in, I think every government around the world is doing this all the time. Oh, yeah. So, but it doesn't mean we should ignore it. Just we have to keep that context in mind that it's not some unprecedented reality that China, you know, it's, it's, no. it's a back and forth <laughs> between both of them. And I think that's clear. But anyway, I just think that's crazy that we would allow whether that is Israel, which is all over the place or, you know, any an ally, my point, Germany, Spain, like, why would you allow them to buy land as a government entity? It just shows that, you know, I don't know that there's there's more going on than we think of in in any given moment. But so we were going to get into um, some of these other related points. So the next the next article you had here was partnerships for climate smart commodities. So is this like another Adaptation yeah, of the so same thing? I, when I spoke for the Senate, my, my argument to them really was, okay, they've withdrawn this proposal, mm-hmm. and I do want us to acknowledge what a win that is, because it yeah. means our voices can be heard, we can have impact. That's wonderful. Oftentimes, uh, you know, not the, the, I get it's a false dialectic, but a lot of times people on, on the quote-unquote right or people in the freedom suite, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. But but they tend to be like, yay, we won. And then they, they do victory dance and then they sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I hope I'm not offending anyone, but that's kind of what I see. Please offend you know? somebody. <laughs> and it's like, oh, wait, four years went by. Let's get mobilized and we, right. we have to vote for, but don't, for but, president. But don't worry, Trump won. So we already done. It's over. Those we won done, you know, um, <laughs> All over. But, uh, you know, the left, and I don't necessarily mean like the quote unquote left. I mean like the, you know, people who are looking to enslave humanity who align with a Marxist, uh, you know, ideology uh, or fascist ideology, I kind of put them all, all roads lead to tyranny. So we can argue mm-hmm. about the splits of the details of the philosophies and, uh, you know, the various governments that have imposed them, but all roads lead to tyranny and totalitarianism. So for the purpose of this conversation, we'll just say that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so our government, go yeah, ahead. Right, right, basically. <laughs> but I, so I don't, so I'm not saying, so that was basically my point. I was like, look, we need to acknowledge this is a win. This means that we can effectuate change. Uh, we are not powerless and we need to acknowledge that and celebrate that and keep moving forward because they are not going to rest. And I said, if you had four, five quadrillion, sorry, four quadrillion, <laughs> No, five quadrillion. I, I'll have to look it up. Uh, hmm. Dollars on the, it was five quadrillion. That's, That's ridiculous. what it was. I can't, it's like an unfathomable we, Your mind number. can't even understand what that means. Exactly. <laughs> so it's just a number. Just think of it as like infinity. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> it's a very, very large sum of printed dollars. Uh, and if you thought that you had the potential to have a big piece of that, mm. are you just going to be like, oh, we lost it. We'll, we'll just roll over. Probably not, especially not if you have a kind of uh, um megalomania or psychopathic tendencies which mm-hmm. i would argue some of these people do uh, think, yeah. so yeah so so that was my argument i said so we need to look at how they're going to try and push this through in other ways and uh, so i i had proposed ways that they could stop uh some of what's going on with like one of the things with the conservation easements because it was again i was speaking to the agricultural committee so i was trying to tailor it towards the farming and i felt it was very important for them to take a look i already know that there's a bill in tennessee where uh, they're renaming it agricultural easements and they're pushing for them. And I said there need to be term limits on that. At the very least, there needs to be potential for buyback with, you know, honest kind of valuations. Uh, so these are some things I proposed. But then there are other things. So I learned that you have to have separate bills. 
but I think that there should be a, an end to the carbon credits, carbon pricing. Absolutely. That needs to be stopped. Um, so I had a couple of other things, uh, you know, that I had proposed, but then I started looking into what else could be going on. I also gave them a list of like buzzwords to look out for, you mm-hmm. know, obviously sustainability, which I actually left out. I felt really bad. Mm-hmm. I texted them afterwards, but, uh, <laughs> uh, that's a big one. Uh, but you know, the regenerative farming, now they're calling it agricultural easement instead of, instead of conservation. I remember that. Agricultural easement. That's very Orwellian. Right. Yeah. I know. So there, but conservation is like a big one all through mm-hmm. everything. Um, so now this new thing, so when I started doing a little digging on, you know, where we do, do, me, do me a favor really yeah. quickly. I'm going to play this clip yeah. that shows about the, the money thing just, just for a moment. So yeah. I can take a, a poke at your microphone real quick. Sure. So th- this, this clip here is interesting just to give me a moment to mess with this, which gives you the kind of context or tries to at the very least contextualize you know, or rather show you that you have no way to understand mentally how much money this is when it ultimately gets to that level. And we'll be right back. And that's wild. I'll tell you, it really is. That's a, you get this over just a touch. There you go. It it really does show you how, I mean, I mean, we were talking five quadrillion. It's insane. (laughs) Mind blowing. Now, let me know. Let me know if this sounds a little better. We're going to, we'll toy with it. It might have been a connection. Uh, We know if her sound sounds better to you guys. Yes. Um, But uh, so back to this in general. So go ahead and continue what you're saying. So partnership for climate smart commodities. What they did was they had the SEC propose another rule a year I guess two years earlier, it was in uh, September, it was in, I think, September of 2022. And it was that all farmers have to comply with ESG. And then a few months after that, the USDA 
So the United States Department of Agriculture put announced that they were going to spend $3.1 billion on climate smart commodity projects. Mm-hmm. The climate smart commodity projects are all, this is all connected. It's all tied in. Uh, so it's all about monitoring and censoring uh, the, you know, greenhouse gas emissions. So it's all about getting to the the net zero, the carbon zero, the low yield or no yield. I mean, they're calling it all sorts of different things, but that's what it's all about. And they have spent an insane amount of money. They even put $40 million into Farm Journal. Uh, so they're working on good uh, propaganda publicity campaigns. And uh, they're, yeah, so it's in all sorts. I mean, Costco's involved, ADM, uh, all these different food companies uh, are now partnering up. And they have these different apps. So uh, things like, uh, I think, Comet Tool, uh, there's uh, AgriCrop. It's it's all uh, these technologies that help to monitor and, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just so, well, the, the whole thing, it's just, it's, it's rooted in such like we like we started with such a very least disagreement, but the fact that it's such a politicized topic and, and for, at every angle, you're using this thing that is disputed at the highest level to dictate our actions, to control what we can buy, what we can eat, what we can even think and say, it's, yep. it's crazy. And I think everybody's starting to recognize that this is, you know, at the very least, even if you think it's a real threat, it's still being politicized and used for their benefit. Oh, yeah. And on top of that, I think it's pretty scientifically clear that it's not. I mean, not that we're not destroying the planet, but that the carbon tax and the carbon threat, which is what it all comes back carbon to. Carbon is literally the life molecule. I know. What do they do in a greenhouse? They <laughs> add CO2. That is how things grow. Right. So this is literally... Uh, so, and it, we also, we have to go back to the Club of Rome, right? So the Limits of Growth document in 1972 uh, their 1992 global reformation document, they admitted that they had to craft a propaganda narrative because it was, I mean, I'm parap- paraphrasing, but they basically said this. They said that it was basically junk science. Nobody was going to get on board. And so they had to create a common enemy. There was a con- common enemy for people to rally behind. That's right. And they could sell this narrative. Mm-hmm. And they decided the enemy of humanity was man. Right. That's why you are the carbon they want to reduce. Right, right, and that's an that's a. Uh, I think the first time I heard that was brought up by uh, Richard Grove, and okay. I, I remember just it's very impactful, you know. Like so, there, there, and a lot of stuff like this exists where you can go back and look where they like wax intellectual about what they're going to u- yeah. do to manipulate, you know, or control the situation, and they just don't think we. I think at those times, far back then, they never fat like understood the war the way that the internet would sh- would yeah. immediately give you connection to this stuff and old archives and they thought nobody would see that stuff i think to some degree well you it's know? so interesting when you look back at some of these uh like philosophical revolutions throughout history i i mean even like back in the enlightenment period you think about how uh the uh printing press and the, the dissemination of printing mm, material mm-hmm. really mm. threw a monkey wrench totally so many so many of their plans because now it was much more accessible to have mm-hmm. information disseminated to the masses. It radicalized the whole thing. Like yeah. all of a sudden you're like, now you can share ideas like, and write down whole books and, you know, sh- share ideologies. It didn't and change this, everything. The same thing is happening now with the internet. Or mass do it, I should say. Mass produce yeah, it. Mass the point. Produce. Yeah. And the same thing is happening with the internet. So now information that I think they thought they could keep under wraps for a very long right. time. Use against us even. That's I mean, we, we yeah. all know the, the origins, right? Of the, oh. uh, that's why I always use that as such an important uh, example. You know, like, like the, the hammer can build a house or it can kill somebody, right? Same kind of thing. And it's like these technologies were designed to, you know, DARPA, internet example, yeah. to control us, to influence what we think. And I, we, I think we've 
you know, I hope I'm not wrong. I mean, it certainly could be that we all are playing exactly into what we're supposed to, <laughs> right. but that, that it flipped on them, right? Yeah. That this didn't work out the way it's supposed to. And now that's why they're so aggressively censoring. I make the same point about any number of things we talk about, whether it's like cryptocurrency or, you know, I mean, I mean, the more and more we go forward though, I'm very almost anti-technology just because it's like, it seems like a safe bet <laughs> just, where they're going, but I just did a three hour podcast yesterday with Joe Allen. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, he wrote the book dark Eon. It's all about transhumanism. He he does the transhumanism segments on uh, Steve Ben's war room. Okay. Um, But yeah, as we were talking, and I I asked him, like, how did you even, like, how did you become the transhumanism expert, you know? Mm -hmm. And he said from kind of a pretty young age, he was just thought that technology was destroying humanity. And so he. It's kind of hard not to see it. You yeah. know, not to say that it doesn't have some great advantages. Of course, of course. You, know, yeah. you know, what's funny though is we shouldn't like I was laughing about, laughing about this this morning. The way that everything the, the dialectic works today, we're always like twisting ourselves in knots. I, to be uh, like, but I didn't mean this. Or I didn't mean that. You know, it's like, well, you didn't say that, so you shouldn't have to say you didn't <laughs> right. say that. You know, yeah. <laughs> but we do it. I do it every day. <laughs> no. Well, so it's in, it's a good kind of a segue in this, and you know, I, I think I'd rather spend more time on this on the. Uh, well, maybe we can end with this patriot yeah, sure. conversation. But since you, this is kind of a good segue into like all the stuff is about the, you know, kind of hijacking natural, you know, processes or you know, just all the stuff we were really discussing and how this can be used against us. I want to, you know, go over, I mean, really just the main point of this, which is the concept of whether or not there's unwanted proteins in this. Now, I recently talked about the, this conversation. And this gain of this was about the the new um, uh, gain of function research they were recently doing, okay. and uh, John Campbell talked about it as well. And it was about basically taking a, a coronavirus adapt, adaptation, the same kind of work they're doing, and altering it so it infected humans, and and weirdly also gave them this weird brain issue. And I'm like, well, that's pretty strange. It like, sounds very different. That sounds like something you would expect with other things like nanotechnology. Right. And, and so I just thought that was very interesting. And then I went into, alongside of it, the reality of where this is at, which is they're at the moment working on and have already succeeded a long time ago, but this even further, genetically engineering proteins to control, as I wrote, everything. So is this like a, a, a contrived prions? Well, okay, that's a good. I, I went over the prions aspect of the okay. COVID nineteen injection and yeah. that stuff, and so that's one of the reasons why I was like, this seems like more like something that they're experimenting with than just that it randomly caused a brain virus. Well, I mean, I don't even know why you would call it. I, that's why I put it in quotes: a brain yeah, virus. Right. It sounds like a brain issue, a brain issue, which is neurological, which could be connected to something other than a pathogen, right? Right. But in any case, yes, that's essentially what the first thing I went to. But my thought was, aside from what this new virus was, or whatever the new thing they're working on is that they are provably, at least that they're putting forward with peer-reviewed research and public conversation, things like the ferritin protein, mm-hmm. right? Where we've discussed where it's, it's you know, a as the Guardian discussed it, the magneto protein, where right. they literally the used ferritin. it. Yeah, and I'll shoot, this, is, this one's actually a better one to include. And I'll grab this really quickly. Because this one goes into the actual, the, the actual, the, the magneto one was kind of like an, an abstract discussion of what they're doing. This okay. is the specific work for the Rockefeller University. Okay. It's called flipping a switch inside the head, which this. discusses the ferritin nano par- yeah. ferritin particle uh, protein. And the point is that they're using this because ferritin is a protein that has lots of iron, and they ultimately using optogenetics, magnetogenetics, and these different uh, outside the body aspects to control these and influence them. Yeah. And and the point is that they created injections and it was using injections to put this 
more so into a certain part of the body or the body in general. Well, they argued that it was a way of directing it into the cell that otherwise it wouldn't. Well, that that's a that's yes, that's a part of this. But yeah. see, that goes back to Charles Lieber's work from 2011 yeah. forward, okay. where that's where the lipid nanoparticle aspect comes from. He used the the fatty lipid layer right. in order to get his virus sized transistor into the cell without right. killing it. Right. Yeah. But so this brings it all the way forward to that, along with Robert Langer's work as well as the co-founder of Moderna. Where in this, this is 2017, where they were utilizing the the ferritin uh, protein specifically to and using the same work to ultimately control, and it's that's not even ultimately to control what they thought, what they were, th- and then ultimately what they could do. So in this study, they controlled the actions of mice, and they went as far as being able to relay internal biosurveillance, and he even talked about from the retina, from the cornea, like so actual visual information from inside these. Uh, animals so a human a mouse from outside like and this is the craziest part for when you get into the magnetogenetics we're talking about stuff that can be done from quite a long ways away Mm -hmm. or even relayed and the point is that this is a real thing right so back to the point was my conversation was about not just the ferret nanoparticle but they're engineering proteins at this point to do all sorts of crazy things and Mm -hmm. and one of my biggest concerns was that they're already working on ferret nanoparticle in uh, universal flu shots there are there like phase three trials right now as or for all we know being given right and then also a pan coronavirus ferritin nanoparticle done by the what is it w-r-a-w-r-i-a-r the um military institute the walter reed something i forget the name of it all and there so it's like a military project you know so all that being said one of the things I got so concerned about too was that there was this discussion simultaneously of work to make plants under the guise of making things that tasted like meat, essentially for people that you know fighting climate change, yeah. that would produce proteins that they were told to produce. And I'm like, well, that's pretty crazy. And at the same time, I'm considering how we're talking about how these things can be used to, like, it gets a little abstract, but the idea that if you're literally trying to find a way to get proteins into something without people knowing it, there's an interesting overlap there. But the easiest example the COVID-19 injections, which yeah. all of a sudden everyone's going, what are all these unwanted proteins? Right. What is all this DNA? And I'm like, man, I really hope this is not exactly what I think it is. Right. But let me give me your thoughts. Jump in anytime. Here's what this article says. This is from uh, this month, 20, 20, uh, the 24th of January of this year. As early as January 2022, four renowned scientists wrote a letter to BioNTech, which that's Pfizer and BioNTech, right. the group that worked with that, with making the shots, mm-hmm. and the founder of BioNTech to obtain information about possible problems in the production process of the vaccines. So let's be clear, first of all, everybody, there, there were a lot of very prominent people that weren't giving attention by the media were screaming about this oh, yeah. a long time ago. And I so they knew about, about it. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. I don't mean even people, I mean like doctors and people within the like regulatory, oh, yeah. like they were going, wait a minute, hold on. Like in 2022, in January, so a, yeah. two years ago, going, wait a minute, there's a problem with the process. Not only did they not care, they didn't even, they just went forward. Oh yeah. It's crazy. They did respond, but not in the way you'd expect. It says, under the title, search for traces, are our corona mRNA vaccines contaminated? It's like, it's pretty clear what they were talking about. The public broadcaster deals with the, quote, blockade of politicians towards critical questions regarding vaccination and the inactivity of the responsible party, in this case, the Paul Ehrlich Institute, in clarifying the question of whether excessive amounts of DNA residues are contained in some batches of mRNA vaccines. And he wrote about this in his blog. It says on December 2023, 
to go forward a year later almost, another paper on the fundamental problem, and a lot happened between then, regarding mod RNA technology. And remember, this is the N1, which it says right there, methyl pseudouridine modified RNA, not the natural stuff, which is one of the reasons it lasts and recirculates. And I, I think this was deliberate, quite frankly. Yeah. I think it was a either on the most benign side of it, a way to main to make sure that it lasted because that was always the problem in the past is that okay. it didn't reach where it was supposed to go and they raised the lipid particles and it hurt people and so they couldn't figure it out. Right. That was one of the reasons I think they did that. But also I think as we get into next, I think there's more to it. But it says the shift and shifts the, it, the sh it shifts the reading frame. We talked about the frame shifting people mm -hmm. talked about right. during protein synthesis, which means that after the shift, some amino acids are incorporated so that proteins of unknown composition are function our end function are then formed in your body. And the theoretical possibility of a ribosomal shift, at least in prokaryotes, I forget what that, what that means again, through the introduction of the N1-methylsodouridine has been known since 2016, but it has never been investigated in, again, the eukaryotes. Let me look these up real quick. These are the two things. These are microscopic yeah. single-celled organisms that neither a uh, distinct nucleus with a membrane nor other specialized or so, you know, just read parts of your body that this affects with for people that are trying to understand the basic part of it. But the point is they've known that this addition of They're N1 methyl pseudouridine with bacteria. Is that you look up? Uh, I'll look it up now. No, 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 I just remember it from bio <laughs> with bacteria. Yeah, That's interesting. Typically. Um, but I'll see if I can find it. Uh, so my point was this simply that what they're saying is that all the way back in 2016, they already knew that so specifically into two, two domains, bacteria, formerly formerly bacteria and archaea, formerly archaea bacteria organisms with nuclei are placed in third domain. That's the eukaryota. Um, and those are, yeah, they're evolved before pro, uh, the prokaryotes are evolved before eukaryotes um, and they lack the, the nuclei. I, I think that they're part of the mitochondria. Mm -hmm. Typically, mitochondria is the you know energy part of the cell. Right. I um, think it just gets a little abstract for the point, but yeah, it's important to understand fine. these things. Yeah. But, but, but I do think it's tied to bacteria, which is important. The only reason I think that's important, the reason I even made the association, mm -hmm. is because they're trying to weaponize bacteria right totally. now. Absolutely. So, I argue they already have. But but so my point was that so the N one methyl pseudouridine, which was they, which is what they added in order to make this thing reach, you know, to make it last longer and so on, which is part of the reason this is so dangerous, is saying that they've known since 2016 that this issue is is there, and so the point is that there's no way they weren't aware of what this possibility would be. So this begins to look like that they added this, which might potentially be responsible for producing these unknown proteins. And my question again is whether or not that's a deliberate process for something much more nefarious than we're really talking about today. And that gets into the potential use of other proteins, whether it's about controlling you or some other influence. Mm -hmm. And we've talked about uh, what's it, Giordano, the uh, neuro, neuro weapon, neuroscience mm -hmm. expert for, you know, NATO. And, and, and he, this guy even recently came out and said, like, right in the beginning of COVID was like, they are aggressively going forward in this direction. Like they are yeah. trying, and he's talking about controlling what you think, what you feel like. And I'm like, they man, this is getting super technology. crazy. I, I mean, they, they already have that technology and then they can do it through light waves, through optogenetics. But, mean, okay. But, but not without something currently, like they can affect you. But what we're talking about here is potentially to the level of like you doing something that you didn't otherwise, weren't otherwise going to do that. You might even end up thinking you're like, it's, controlling what you're thinking like mm -hmm. not just that you like right now i think the current state of it is if i understand it correctly is that they can influence certain part you know 
feelings Mm -hmm. or something, but not to the point to where they could literally make you want to go do something specific. Well, or make you, you know, act in a certain way, or even literally control what you're they doing. Did uh, uh, the only one I really remember his <laughs> name was Delgado, but he did a uh, uh, brain control, mm-hmm. uh, remote brain control studies during MK Ultra. Right, but th- but that always included either direct internal. That's what like remember oh, like, like Langer and Lieber go back. They were uh-huh. doing like wiring, and that's right. still what. Net, uh, and we can talk about the Neuralink thing. I was that's just new. Say, yeah. yeah. But so this stuff, this is why this is so crazy to me is we still talk about this as if it's, you know, theoretical. Well, that too, but like that we're like, you know, clunky level with wires. I mean, we're at the point like you're talking about where we're using light flashes with certain, and this is my point, certain things that have to be internal, like proteins that can respond to that. Yeah. And then they can use that. So whether that's being put into you in some mass vaccination program or some other manipulative term, or it's only a few people, or it's not happening at all. My point is that this is a level that we're not, we haven't been at as far as I understand until recently. Yeah. So, I mean, the chips, obviously, we just did the neuro, they just did the Neuralink and then uh, BlackRock has their neurotech mm-hmm. similar. Uh, there are a couple of other companies, obviously, Sweden did a few, um, but I, I think that gets a lot of attention. But there's all these technologies where they are. I mean, certainly when you read the DARPA documents, they, mm-hmm. they talk about this all the time. And even Facebook has a you know, technology where you'll be able to uh, just think and then it'll type out your thoughts. Exactly. And yeah. this it's is all overlapped. Yeah, and mm-hmm. this is where they're going. And I, 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 I know they have the you. You've covered this before. The Internet of Nano uh, Bio Bio Nano Things. Yeah, yeah that's the, the overlap. Yeah. So uh, they're they're yeah the Internet of Things with the Internet of Nano Bio Things, and mm-hmm. I, I think that's really where they're going. But they want to focus a lot of energy on the implantable. And, and I think uh, this is just my opinion. This is speculation, but I think part of the focus on the implantable, the chip. Is uh, because I think the people, I think it's kind of like the vaccines, actually. Mm-hmm. I think that people will feel safe, like, oh, well, I'm not doing that. So that's just for those crazy people. And that's not me judging people. That's just, I'm saying, like, the, that's the narrative, right? Like, oh, they did that, but I'm right. safe. That's not, they can't control me or, um, but then they're not, that, so people aren't going to be looking at some of this nanotechnology that, you know, the, they could do through the air, they could do through water, they could do through food. Uh, and I do think that they're working on that technology. And I have seen studies show, indicating that they are. I don't know how far along they are, but I know that they're working on that technology. And I, I think that it's sim- the reason I bring up the vaccines is similar is because I think a lot of people who chose not to felt like, you know, regardless of what they may have thought about others who took it, they felt they were protecting themselves, mm-hmm. that that was their choice, but they didn't realize that there might be potential shedding. Which exactly, is- of proteins. That's a spike protein. I mean, this this is, again, and this gets into the very core question of whether that was a biologically engineered, you know, artificially, like this is what David Martin would talk about, you know, and so again, it all, you know, a lot of times I'm just giving you hypotheticals, right? But what I'm talking about here are things that are provably being done, but whether or not they've been put together is the question, because what pretty much everybody I think now is convinced that this was something that at the very least was manipulated or made, right? And so that would imply that they designed it to shed a spike protein, which sounds like a self-spreading vaccine at the simplest core because yeah. it spreads, they get sick, they, they or not vaccine even, self-spreading concept. And so then it becomes the question. Self-spreading bioweapon? Uh, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Any way you want to look at it. But, yeah. but the point is that the whether or not that's all that's there. 
right? If we're talking about a protein and now we're talking about going back as far as you want to look, like we're talking about here, going back, I mean, this is 2011 where Charles Lieber with Harvard, who was, is still interestingly overlapped with this whole COVID conversation, oh, yeah. made what and they the said. And the Epstein conversation, ex- by the way. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Who worked in this weird technocratic direction about virus size transistors. And again, at this, you go forward five years, they're talking about, look at this huge chip we're going to put in our, they're virus size transistors in 2011. And you could say they're lying about it. And talk, and that's when we talk about the lipid layer he used to insert it in the cell. The hydrogel. Right. Well, and so, well, that's same same overlap, but yeah. that's that gets even crazier. DARPA hydrogel. Yeah. yeah. But my point in all of this is, you know, so you point out the Internet of Bio Nano Things, which yeah. includes two, one of two things, right? Actual smart dust nanotechnology, which yeah. is very real, and we're long since past that being something that's applicable. That's what we talk about internally, which yeah. then connects with the mesh network, which is what yeah. they're trying to connect between bodies. That is the internet of bio nano things. And then you can access in electronics, like with Facebook, like you talked yeah. about, or it gets some to the, the, the more natural level where they're producing proteins. They can manipulate with magnets and lights and so on, which is a real part of the research. So both of those things exist. So who knows what's actually going on, but I think what's crazier to back to this uh-huh. is that these people were calling this out. How did I lose all that oh, no. highlighting? even though the thing is still open. Mm. That's weird. Well, oh, well, it, I mean, it, it got the point across. There was yeah. some other important stuff in here, but. That's very weird. Yeah, it's weird. But basically, see where I was here. I mean, the, all, what we were getting into in general was simply the point that these things are, you know, they've known about this. So that, I was right here. I think it was since, since 2016. They've, and again, specifically, which added that we'll go to the next point, the N1-methylpseudouridine, right? That addition is, is what they've known about, which is what's causing these extra proteins we're all confused about, right? right. And it says these unwanted proteins could, all, could, be, could also be observed in 21 mod RNA-treated patients. That's interesting. And antibodies were also formed using these unwanted proteins. So there's overlap in both conversations. The protein, what that can do in regard to like the ferritin aspect is open-ended as far as I'm concerned, but it also giving you antibodies, which is like this self-spreading concept. But it says the the nature author said in that work that no correlation to side effects was observed, although the statement is problematic for several reasons. And so it was also described in a comment on the work of scientists from USA and Canada. Get this, the cohort size was 21 people. So 21 people out of 21 people had M- mod RNA treated patients observe these specifically unwanted people, every single one okay. of them. So it's like, okay, this is something that very clearly seems organized, in my opinion. Um, and I'll leave it there since I don't know where the rest, there was other important parts here. Make sure you read it. But so bringing this in, unless you had a comment to the next part of this, which, well, first of all, this pegylated stealth nanoparticles and liposomes talking about all the way back in 2018, Pegylated, remember the polyethylene glycol, yeah, which is right, part of these okay. injections, and that's a part of use these stealth nanoparticles and how that can guide them where they need them to go. Yeah. One of the parts that's so important is that the proteins, specifically talking about ferritin nanoparticles or ferritin proteins and the nano shots they're talking about, need to be in certain places for it to work the yeah, way they want it to. Right. So we can talk about how this has been discussed and how they even talk about using graphene oxide to guide these things to the yeah. certain parts of the body. And that's kind of where I was going to go next with this. This one just shows you that another new study that breast milk is contaminated by the injection. So it's even spreading to the children. But uh, I mean, we don't have to get into this today. I was going to get into the graphene oxide side of it. The, uh, the main point I wanted to make, I think was, you know, just the idea that these things, whether it's graphene oxide or not, are on, you know, the on-demand remotely controlled electro-responsive kind of stuff and 
dual drug delivery, getting it to the certain locations. But uh, you, you tell me, do you want to get into this and then finish with the, pay, the PatCon discussion? We have a good time? Uh, yeah, okay. I mean, up to you. Uh, uh, what, were, what were your thoughts otherwise? Well, I was just, just play this clip because this will open up a whole other conversation. So I'm, oh, I'm, okay. I got plenty of time. So let's get into this. I okay. think this is important. And then I'll just tell you, I have, I don't know if you have, you can get this, but this was uh, where they talk about the internet bodies and they talk about the 5G connected biosensors that are being close skin mm-hmm. cradles. Yeah. So I think this might even overlap with that a bit. Great. And because that, that's kind of the whole point here is yep. that, you know, the unspoken point in a lot of these older ones, this is, well, 2022, but you can go back this to like 20, 2002, even before they're talking about graphene oxide vaccine. That's yeah. not like a contentious topic, despite the weird pushback. No. But the point was, I still don't think the level of like the Stu Peters allegation of 99% graphene oxide is even remotely true. But you can prove that the, uh, I think uh, the expose did great work on this, that in their actual documentation, it shows they used graphene oxide, but it wasn't in the vaccine according to their documentation. It was in this process they used to test something, but it says right in there that there is a residual overlap. So he proved it. They do have some graphene oxide in there, even if it's this tiny, tiny, tiny amount. But is that enough? What does that mean? You know, yeah. it's interesting. But I think I genuinely still feel that the reason that, w- that people came out so flamboyant with that conversation early was because there was some validity to it. Yeah. And that's how controlled opposition works, right? right? You use the truth to sh- shy people away from it. And even myself was, I mean, even I'm even more resistant than usual because I'm like, well, they're, they're lying. Like, I know right. they're lying. So it's like, but I do think there's more to it. So let, let's play this clip. Okay. This is... Dr. Astrid uh, Stuckelberger, University of Geneva. And she's claiming, and this gets into, you know, you take this for what you will. I'm not saying I necessarily believe in everything that's being discussed here, but I find it interesting that this goes into this very point about nanostructures. I mean, and again, if you don't remember, this stuff has been talked about a very long time. The idea of using, like this article right here, um, modified graphene oxide specifically for drug delivery. This is not a conspiracy theory. Whether it's in something currently used, you can decide for yourself. She's claiming she's found things like nanostructure, nanorobots. These two would be graphene oxide overlap, the nanostructures, mm-hmm. the self-assembling uh, nanobots. Right. But she talks about parasites that at- attach to your synopsis in order to control you, metals and graphene oxide. So that, the, the parasites was part of the DARPA PALS project. Mm-hmm. They did a whole uh, military project on uh, weaponizing uh, parasites. And what parasites specifically were we talking about? That 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 overlaps with a lot, like ticks and and right, like yeah. all sorts of things. Uh, the, this one was mostly hydrous substances, and this led to the DARPA hydrogel. Right. Well, just I could I mean, tell me because I'm, I'm not sure. So in this case, what do you think parasites means? Because I, I picture like you know microscopic inter body inter like what do you think it right means? this was a this this was mimicking like a hydra like a true hydra but mm-hmm. it was a synthetic hydra interesting and this did lead to the darpa hydrogel and it was uh it was designed to be able to uh you know like move through cells and then lodge itself uh, in tissue uh, it was primarily in adipose tissues and fat cells mm-hmm. um so that it would stay there and be stored and then could be engaged as like a binary weapon that could be activated by a payload mm. later. Yeah. See, that's a lot of this stuff is like that where it's like, you know, it's like setting the table yeah. and then, and then something else will be triggering that later. You know, I think George Webb and I talked about the, like a drilling platform, you know, mm-hmm. where the platform set, but then, you know, whatever's going to be actually drilling to achieve the outcome hasn't happened yet right. kind of thing. And that's kind of terrifying. Yes. Well, that was a long time ago. I don't remember what year that was, but it, I mean, that was like long before 2020. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've tried to find the article. Whitney's covered this in the past okay. in regard to hydrogel specifically. <clears throat> but uh, I'll look for it. Oh, yeah, I think this is the one right here. 
just that she talks about DARPA a lot in the earlier. Like, I, I still argue, guys, that if you have not looked at her work from 2020, like right, and even before this, she she literally outlines like everything we're talking about, like yeah. everything they're getting into. And it, it's it's really crazy. And so th- this is about DARPA and, and all their, I think mm-hmm. it's right in here, you know, the in the v- in vivo nano platforms. Yeah. And this is the thing that we're only just now getting people to understand, like setting this in your body right. to be able, uh, like actually this is, that's this clip you guys have seen me play a thousand times to open the show back to 2020. This is Forbes talking about a Pfizer project that overlaps with the same DARPA work. Wall Street and biotechnology companies have been very excited about this idea. And what essentially it is, is trying to hack the cells in the body in order to make them into drug factories. And that's arguably what they're doing, right? And so that, and then think about even more so, not just drug factories, but producing whatever proteins they then signal them to produce. Now I'm definitely finding a way to connect these things, right? Yeah. So there's level of confirmation bias, but realize sure. that it's just possible because I'm just theorizing, you yeah, know? Yeah, of course. And so in vivo nano platforms apply just this large, broad concept and bring this into the internet of bio nano things, mm-hmm. you know? And it's just, there's, the possibilities are endless. Living foundries, kind of a similar concept. Um, and I, I thought she mentioned hydrogel in this, but in any case, a, a lot of these topics are, are you know, just they ubiquitous and for a very long time have been going on. on each other. Yeah. So let, let's watch this clip of what she's okay. discussing. Important that Singapore understands and you are not, you know, you, it is manageable because you're a country that can say, listen, no, we exit. We are not many, but these people, we cannot accept that you come here with your lorries and all your, your, your weapons, vaccine, equal vaccine, biotech weapon, which we know today has nothing biological inside. It is nanostructure, nanotech, nanorobots, parasites uh, under uh, tubes, small tubes that attach to your synapses, control you. It's oxide graphene, it's metal. Uh, Japan stopped uh, Moderna because there was metal in the vaccine. There's enough proof. So many scientists have are, are talking about that, that now we have to stop what is going to happen. And, I, you know, and, and uh, Pascal said that he, he saw already this. How many vials have they already prepared? Uh, uh, I come to that. If, if I could speak. Yes. Um, oh, uh, yeah. I would... So that that was her speaking about, you know, her research, what she's finding. And and that was uh, who was with them, joining that was with them was Pascal Najati, the son of the World Economic Forum co-founder, Hussein Najati. And he's he's calling for the arrest and and the you know he's very anti all, all of this, so I just you know it's interesting you know but so th- what she's saying by the way is not like this is what's so wild to me is that m- remember this discussion Japan finds black particles in Moderna vaccine they also talked about finding yeah. metal and all these different things and ended up being kind of pushed aside as like the the industrial process right. and there's like shavings I'm like well that's crazy in and of itself <laughs> metal shavings in your eyes like that's wild but it just shows you that there's something here. I mean, I really, there's something going on here and it very well could be that they wanted you to think this. I mean, that's certainly possible, but then brings us back to this very concerning point after what she's saying and everything we discussed and all the real like peer reviewed research, DARPA programs, all of this stuff is real. Whether or not it's happening is the question. Remotely controlled, electro responsive, on demand nanotherapy. So whether it's in something you've already gotten, whether this is about how they're going to set up the next step. And, you know, my point is that I keep talking about I think people need to be on guard for where this goes. And and the bigger point for me was talking about the unwanted proteins. 
And then uh, th- this was the other point that I was going to get to. And this is about the fact that now here's, this is the new shot. One of the new shots. If you can oh. believe they're still doing this. January 22nd. Safety and immunogenicity of the VLP-CoV-02, which is a SARV-CoV-2 self-amplifying RNA vaccine. But it's not even an RNA vaccine. It is a 5-methyl-cytosine-modified RNA vaccine. This is the new N1-methylsodiuridine. So uh, the point is that if you read into this, the, the argument is that this was going to alleviate some of the other problems. And my point in reading this article was simply to show you that they're recognizing that the problem arises from mm-hmm. the N1-methylsodiuridine, which, by the way, they knew. So it was like a deliberate choice to leave that in the shot. But now it's like they're trying to go, oh, wait a minute, we'll change this and add that, which shows you that at the very least they knew at some level that this is something that wasn't working, but they kept using it. So I don't know, you know, you guys can decide for yourselves. Does that show complicity? Does that show awareness? <laughs> Either way, they're now using this, which uh, I thought I had something on that in general, but I went over this on a, re- on a previous show discussing why this is concerning. But the last thing I'll show you on this was just Derek recently discussed dissecting disease X and the pandemic agreement. And he, one thing he pointed out in here, which I found really crazy, this is a uh, 2019 document before COVID-19, which discusses, and uh, it's, where was the title? Uh, Summit percent Biomedical, I forget the exact title. It's in, it's in the article The uh, article here. You can check it for yourself. All the show notes are down there, all the links. But here's what it says. As such, an important CEPI goal, which CEPI again is the, uh, what was it? The, uh, I'll look it up real quick. The group that, you know, funded by Bill Gates and the rest, it is the Vaccine Initiative. The Coalition for Epidemic Preparedness and Innovations, you know, pretty much vaccines. <laughs> so here is what it says. As such, an important CEPI goal in 2019 is to address both preparedness and rapid response disease X, which now they claim COVID was like the first, you know, whatever, by leveraging pre-developed vaccine platforms, which in and of itself means they're not ready, such as injectable formulations of DNA self-replicating RNA, recombinant proteins, and viral vectors. I mean, it's exactly, they basically shoehorned in, they, they, they jammed the square peg in the round hole for what they wanted to push right. into the medical field for this under a guise that it was necessary and the best thing for you when they clearly didn't know what they were doing or that's the excuse to justify all the things they're doing they don't want you to know about. Right. But viral vectors are things like mosquitoes. Right. I mean, it's or, or these different aspects and they're telling you that it's part of they it. They have GMO mosquitoes now. <laughs> well, they have flying vaccinators. Right. Yeah. And this has been studies they've been working on. I just recently called, followed up on that again. So in any case, I think all of this gets really alarming. Yeah. And I'll, and I'll, go ahead. Well, I think uh, just uh, in terms of the proteins also, and this is a bit of, you know, my imagination. I don't, you know, I don't have any evidence on this, but. Uh, just thinking about how prions do work and they're, they are proteins that misfold and they signal to other proteins. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they can, if you have some sort of a, a nanobot uh, protein, synthetic protein, then it, it, you could mimic the uh, natural, the organic um, prion mm-hmm. and have it coded to instruct other proteins to do whatever the algorithm says to do. Right. And uh, I don't see that that's so far out of the realm of possibility. That's, I quite frankly think this has been, you know, this is my point about like smart dust. When I talked about that is this was something that was actionable, like was being, and I even discussed the group called dust networks, which was like Mm -hmm. one of the earlier 
like 2011 or even yeah. further, where they're proudly talking about how this is the future. This will be the connective point between our, our smart cities and our smart grids, you mm-hmm. know, and now, now we're closer to that than ever. And weirdly, we're not talking about that connective point. Yeah. Right. And, and what they get into is how they were already doing real world tests. And this, it was very clear in the, in the presentation. Mm-hmm. He's, he, it even shows him like throwing sand in the air and circling like he has a, yeah. as kind of a, a, you know, imitation of what the smart dust would be. So right. it's, it's dust and that they were already using it to track cargo and things. I mean, well, okay, well, how is that possible unless it's in the air? Right. And I'm just like, so that's wild. And so you can show that this stuff has been real and has been utilized. And today with where we're at and all the things we're dealing with, like my point is this has long since been used. And that's my opinion. But does that mean it's coursing through your veins? I mean, I don't know how that's not possible if it's some kind of ubiquitous thing, but that's a pretty terrifying thought. How do you come back from that? You know, I mean, it's just... I mean, I guess the point would be that if you already make it so far that you know you can't come back from it, once they eventually find out, well, what are you going to do? It's too late now. Well, why would we make it work for us? Here's why it'll work. Here's here's the benefits. And some people will be like, yay, you know, I don't know. It just, it really does concern me quite a lot. Yes. And they they recently just, uh, again, with even using emergent biosolutions, which has just had to Cadillac and and, uh, Howard and all these different people, but it is January 12th for another DOD contract for anthrax vaccines. It's just all these different angles coming wow. out. I'll include the article about emergent biosolutions and how it's overlapped with COVID-19. And just lastly, one, did you see this? How I, horrifying I, yeah. that is, you know? It is, I've seen that. It's crazy. Ah. And of course, that's the Vaccine Compensation Act year, right? 1986. Yep. yep, exactly. And you can see the correlation with the explosion of all the childhood problems and SIDS and ZADs and everything. And it's just what a coincidence. We're all baffled by all of the overlaps, you know? Yep. <clears throat> well, I don't, we can maybe save this. Well, there was the, uh, the Taylor Swift thing and so on, but, uh, I definitely wanted to get into this and I know we're already okay. pretty long, but th- this is an interesting discussion about, uh, the Patriot front. Oh, yeah. Now <clears throat> we, I just talked about the Texas border crisis. I, I argued was the new January 6th yep. and, and it doesn't have to mean that's the only thing that it is in no way. Does that imply that there's not a, something going on there? I and I think it's weaponized migration for sure. In I my think opinion. it's something else also. I think they're, uh, they're buying for a trap for balkanization to get Oops. a civil war. Yeah. I, well, good. Let's get into that. But let me, <laughs> let me set the table real quick. So the, the, the Texas border crisis, in my opinion, new January 6th. So the point is what's going on in Texas. I think there's something to that in regard to a trap. I also talked about my recent, uh, uncovering the fact that this guy who they misattributed to an Azerbaijani terrorist turns out to be a Jordanian who was arrested in Egypt or yeah, in Egypt for uh, recruiting for the Mossad. Mm -hmm. And so that for me was just very interesting in regard to how that might be playing a larger factor. He on camera pretended he was from Palestine. You know, it's like this, it seems like they're, and of course he goes, you'll know me, you'll know me. It's like, it seemed very staged, right? Yeah. My opinion. But so all that being said, my whole point in all of that. Oh, and then, uh, Brock just put out a, a clip of that weaponized mm-hmm. migration and border crisis. I'll include is you know how this relates to the larger point that uh, Josh uh, that Josh Walkos brought up in regard to Operation Patcon. And I wanted to go into that, but I wanted to point out the whole Texas thing about why I think that that is like a current iteration of how these things play out. Mm-hmm. Before we go into Patcon, go ahead and, and what was your uh, thought on Texas in general since we brought it up? Um, well, now you have, I think, 25 or 26 states uh, who have uh, signed on to, to stand uh, with them at the border with Texas. And uh, you need 36 to have a constitutional convention. And I, this is something that I talk a lot about how I'm seeing, uh, you know, the, we, we've seen the, the left for uh, really since the beginning of the country mm-hmm. trying to subvert the Constitution. 
And now I think both sides have. Well, so, so, but now what you're really seeing is they're trying to work through the right. So at least then the narrative overtly on the surface Mm -hmm. has been very overt on the left, but now they're, they're working a different narrative arcs through the right that Mm -hmm. will have the same goal, but they're much more palatable to the quote unquote, right. It says the teeter totter. We've always talked about like it just over the years, it's always, it goes back and forth on who's the, so one of the things that the, the right, you know, again, quote unquote, right. But you have to work, you have to, you have to acknowledge that there are people who identify. Of course. Yeah. And they they work through that identity. Mm -hmm. Um, they, so these are the narrative arcs that they target their target audience. Mm-hmm. And uh, through the right, typically it's been this uh, idea of constitutional convention, like a convention of states. And that hasn't had a whole lot of traction. You know, it kind of crops up and then it fitters out, you know. Mm-hmm. But what I'm seeing is that this opens up that possibility. And I think it would be a disaster. Mm-hmm. I think that will just be, I mean, then it's just game the the whole Pandora's box open. They yeah. can just completely subvert. Um, so I think that that's uh, part of the goal. And you think about it, he's had all this time. Why now suddenly we're concerned? Yeah. yeah. Well, I don't trust him. He's at a all. World Economic I, Forum asset, in yeah. my opinion. But uh, yeah, suddenly he's concerned about the border. I'm not saying mm. there's not a real problem at the border. That's not what I'm saying at all. Uh, I'm saying the timing is very suspicious. And uh, I I do think you're also seeing balkanization. You're seeing a lot of people advocating for, great, well, this will be, you know, we'll go with Texas and then the America. We, right now, that's what they want. They want to divide us. The last, the the time we need to unify the most is the very time when they're balkanizing us. And I I think that's a huge part of the goal. No, I agree. I mean, I I, I think I disagree with some of the parts, but the ending, I definitely think that it is. A, a manip- I mean, that's what I said. I think that this, like my point with, if you guys don't remember my point from January 6th is, you know, I call it the MAGA trap or whatever yeah. you want to call it. The, you know, is that ultimately that this was be a setup, not just for Republicans, but that was the utilization of yeah. the two party paradigm, but it was about creating domestic terrorism and the idea. And clearly they didn't fall for it. Yeah. Like there, some people wandered in and got put in prison, but ultimately there was not what they expected. And I think this is where we'll get into the whole PatCon part of it is this is an old tactic, infiltrating what they see as patriot groups, which is almost, ins- it's like laugh out loud insulting, if you want to, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like the idea that you're of a patriot group. Now you, you can call, I mean, why they would call them patriot groups. Right. Like you could, they can call them that, but you're calling them terrorists, but you're also saying you're naming them patriot groups. Patriot. The word patriot has very clear meaning. It's just, so I think it ultimately shows you the same reason they've always said, you know, and this was, this is written down in their own documentation from like FBI levels that one of the things they look for is people who believe too much in the constitution. It's like, my God, like it shows you that they think being a patriot, the real sense of that word, not the two party paradigm version is bad yeah. because it makes it because they, they're not really in line with the constitution or no. your rights. They, they abuse it every day, but they love you to think that they are exactly. right. And so in this whole thing, I definitely think that this at the this basis level is about setting people up to come there and act like they're and oh, which, by the way, let's be clear, I would argue they have a constitutional right to do if they truly feel that there is a violation of what they're supposed to be doing, yeah. alter or abolish it. My point, though, is that I don't think that's a it's they know that and they, they're trying to coax you into going to yes. be able to justify the violence and call you the terrorist, which you may still think is valid. You do what you think is correct. I think you're playing right into their hands. That's I what so I think. I think but to, to the other points, though, I don't know how like Abbott clearly like the point of the fact that you can show all these fences that are open like half a mile down the road and like I mean, everyone's seen that guy's video that went pretty yeah. viral right and it's not new P- people on the ground will say the same thing yeah. and so i'm like okay so this is not about one or the other I, one that shows you 
And I look, and the main point was like on my show was definitely, I think weaponized migration is playing a part of this, but it's not as simple as Biden or Biden in China. I think it's much bigger than that. And that's maybe where I think this plays over to Israel, where you have um, Abbott, a rabid Zionist and very clearly anti-BDS and all these things who recently visited Israel, like at the end of the year, you know, and he's done that many times, which I think is pretty strange for a state governor to visit, you know, but that's a pretty common thing for that. But whether it's that or any other outside entity, it's possible that this could be something being done to the United States. But I would argue if that's the case, that it's being done in coordination with our government. That's what I think. I think it makes sense or the other likely possibility. And this is again, where my mind drifts to, but that this is something about, What's going on with Israel, Biden, and they're drifting sort of like toward the idea that, hey, maybe you should stop killing so many civilians. Maybe there's a reason for that. But and then, of course, the guy that recruited for Mossad and got arrested for it and is now at the border going, you're going to know my name. So all those things play a factor for me. But all of it said and done, the clear point for me was states' rights. I will always stand by states' rights in this. And I think that you can clearly prove that they're not, at the very least, they're circumventing the law to do what they want, which would be giving them amnesty or giving them, you know, the, the, the problem is, is that you still have a president of the, of the, the leader of the executive branch saying, yes, this is the law, but we're going to decide to let them in for this reason. Okay. So I agree. There's a law and you could argue he's breaking that law, but do you know how many times Trump okay. just decided not to follow certain rules? So it's like, it's like, is it illegal? Technically? Yes, but there's a whole, you know, trust me, I'm on the side that there's a law. It should be about, uh, you know, they shouldn't be ignored. And I do think that the Democrats and Biden are using that for political reasons. But it's not as simple as being like, let's all form up on the border, defend our country versus the people trying to. It's like, whoa, you know, or go take our border back or Trump and them saying, go send your National Guard. It's like, wow, that fever pitch from razor wire immediate to civil war. It felt very disingenuous to me, like across the board, you know, so that all being said, do you have any other points you want to text us? Because, you know, but I oh, and the last thing was that. If the, if we see that these gates are open, that, you know, uh, that means Abbott allowed them to continue to be open. Even right. if you want to pretend they're welded open, he could still, if he cared that much, he would just send people to close it back. Right. But seriously, you're focused on this one tiny area where I guess, yes, that's where they're offering certain things and whatever else, but it doesn't, none of it adds up. It shows me that your government all is creating this. Yes. That's how I look at I it, agree. you know? And so that's again, where it comes back to this very interesting point. And oh, and just because it's overlapped, I think this is a clear example of what this is. The Patriot Front groups, actually, we'll just I'll, we'll do these next. They're out there marching again. Let's start with what he said here. Josh, Josh, uh, Champagne, Josh, your Josh Walkos says, "Ever hear of Operation Patcon, short for Patriot Conspiracy, an FBI <laughs> program that infiltrated and directed Patriot groups in the early '90s, using them to provide violence and politically antagonize." Oh, and it just so happens that although they infiltrated these groups, they somehow missed him and McVeigh, who happened to be smack dab in the middle of the groups they infiltrated. Quite the oversight. So first point here, we'll go to this uh, PatCon document. This is from 2012. It says, since September 11th, 2001, more than 300 U.S. residents have been prosecuted for crimes relating to homegrown terrorism. That doesn't seem like that much when you think about it from 2001. Mm-hmm. That's, that's 11 years, you know? And so, and, and that's within the reality that these are being people largely being set up by the FBI and so on. Half, half, about half were targeted by law enforcement using infiltration techniques, confidential informants, undercover operations. So that may seem okay to most people, just as it is, that they're trying to find the bad guys. But okay. even then, we have to realize that they're at the, they're in these groups that are then committing things that they then later point to. That's that seems pretty crazy, but it gets worse. Obviously, many view these techniques as bordering on entrapment. I think that's clearly what it is. Yeah. 
Informants uh, are and undercover officers are seen as agent provocateurs who are instructing people, provoking them to take illegal acts to then be prosecuted. Yeah. Even the New York Times has written about this. It's very prominent. And this is in 2012. The, the Associated Press series starting in August 2011 revealed that the, the uh, NYPD has engaged in widespread surveillance of specifically Muslim communities in New York without evidence of illegal activity, often without producing actionable results, which shows you that they just focus on, you know, that's profiling. So that in and of itself is going to drive a certain outcome. And even especially if you're trying to coax people into certain things, it says, but questions about when and how to use these techniques are not new and are not limited to Muslim communities since post 9-11. Law enforcement has an obvious stake in trying to determine whether non nonviolent people who espouse extremist beliefs, which is protected under free speech, engage in violent rhetoric might become violent. Now, more than ever, the government is focused on preventing potential extremism from being violent. Now, th- I wanted to a- just talk about this point for a second because it's kind of it's a it's a right down the middle point, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Because it's hard to argue that, well, if these people are out there going like, let's take it to the extreme. We're going to well, I mean, I, there is technically a law that if you're like, I'm going to bomb this place like they could. I think they could. Let's just say you're like, I want to remove, uh, you know, you're, you're extremist. Mm-hmm. You're screaming. You want to remove people from the planet. These people don't deserve to exist. Whatever. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. You're not necessarily saying I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. It's hard. A lot of people will be like, yeah, arrest that guy. Like, I think a lot more than we think. Mm -hmm. But he has constitutional rights, right? He has the the right to express himself, even if you think that's crazy. And even if I might be like, wow, that guy's wild and he's probably going to hurt people. I don't know. I honestly don't. I think I'd have to side with free speech because I'm a free speech absolutist. But I ultimately think that it's an interesting point that so at what point does your, your rhetoric become extremist? And, you know, they know, like you said, you believe too much in the Constitution. You know, you're you're part of a militia group. Suddenly you're an extremist. And when you're like foundationally fighting for the rights of this country, I don't know. That's an interesting point, isn't it? Where where would you think that Do you think they have a right to to profile you based on what you're saying and then even try to I mean, what, what do you think? What do you think? Yeah. Extremist rhetoric alone. Is that enough for them to continue to follow you? And, and a lot of times try to coax you into things and entrap you. Think so. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. But it's I, people are probably going to disagree, you know, that well, that means these people could be killing your family. And it's like, you know, you, th- these are you could always create you're willing to trade a little bit of uh, hey, there you go freedom for security. You deserve neither. Exactly. <laughs> so, Benjamin Franklin, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. But, you know, it's it's hard because, you know, it could be abused at the simplest point. Yeah, they, they can manipulate this. They can lie about you. And you have the point is you can always find well, a difficult choice within these kind of like, discussions. You have it, to just side with, you know, what is right. Well, it's also like what interpretation. Mm-hmm. So I say something and you decide that, I mean, we could take it. It's like a, in the most simplest form, like the hate speech is like, who decides what's hateful? Right. Exactly. You know, you exactly. Say something to me and I could be like, oh, that was really funny. You could say to another person, you could say the same thing. And they'd be like, oh my gosh, that's the most... I have, a, I have a great clip for that. As much as I have plenty to criticize about Jordan Peterson today, this is a, <laughs> this is the this is a clip that will stand forever because it's exactly the po- exactly what happens. The idea that there's hateful speech, it's like, yeah, okay, that's self-evident, no problem. Well, let's regulate it. Okay, fair enough, because it's hateful. You know, maybe we rather that there wasn't any of it. Okay, no problem. Who defines hate? Well, we'll worry about that later. It's like, no, you won't. That's actually the problem. Here's the answer to who defines hate. Those people that you would least want to have define it. That will be the inevitable consequence of the legislation. Because sensible people won't have anything to do with that. Like people who are power mad will gravitate to that domain. 
to make an ethical case to exercise their controlling power over the language of other people. No, and I've had journalists say, well, what makes you think that your right to free speech trumps the right of someone to not be offended? And I think that's really the level of our political discourse. God, that is crazy, too. Like, offended? Really? What are we, in kindergarten? Like, I can't even believe that's become... What happens to sticks and stones may break my bones. Words may never harm me. Classic. So it is to kindergarten. They literally went back to the very day. No more. (laughs) Yeah. Being offended matters more than anything. Oh, it's funny, uh, not not to go on a whole tangent. I, I did, did you see? I did a whole thing on Arc. The uh, what was uh, Arc? So Arc is an Alliance for Responsible Citizenship. Jordan Peterson. Yes, I think. Yeah, yes, group. I think it is. Yeah. yeah. So and the, it, the graphic I... is awesome. Yeah. I mean, so uh, yeah, we've made it, but I put a bunch of like key elements together. But he's a Pied Piper, uh, the Hegelian <laughs> dialectic spiral, and uh, the Ouroboros there. Right. And he's wearing the suit that he wore for. The arc, uh, you know, opening speech. He's wearing the like the two face suit, like mm. red. Oh, and right, blue, that's right. Like half, half. Um, Three on the nose, huh? So, yeah. <laughs> so I did a whole thing on how, and I named it like is uh, Jordan Peterson's arc the uh, uh, right hand dialectical arm to build weft dreams, which is a play on like weft dreams. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I mean it's it's really sad how he has changed, you know, and it's yeah. like. I mean, it's hard to get into how, and there's so many different things, but it is, you know, he does not seem like the person that was in that video. I hate to say that, but you know, people change and things happen, but I I have suspicions there. (laughs) (laughs) uh... Well, something happened with his medication and he went to the hospital and it's like, just my brother's talked about it with me. You know, he was a, he's a big, you know, I've never been like, I've I've always appreciated things like that that he said. Never really gotten too obsessive with his work. My brother was a huge supporter of his and he doesn't, he doesn't even look at him anymore. No, you know, it's I, like I, very well, different. I want to talk to him because I did a whole video on him, but I talked about how like, I mean, I was a diehard fan. Mm-hmm. Like I was, you know, pretty obsessed. He kept me company in 2020 when I was, you know, pretty miserable. Mm-hmm. Um, so when, and I waited for him to come back and then the very first episode, and I don't know if it's the first one he did at all, but I think it was, mm-hmm. uh, it was him and Douglas Murray. Mm-hmm. And uh, they did this podcast you know, basically just saying how like Trump supporters were delusional and deranged and vengeful people and they just need to get over it and move on. And even his wife, he, he Jordan talks about how his wife, Tammy said, you know, you're always saying that the judicial system in the United States is really corrupt. Do you think maybe that played any role? And he, he gets very defensive. Like that's absolutely absurd. There's no way that could be. They're just sore losers. Now, regardless of what, they, what you think about Trump, it's like, I mean, I think it's pretty hard to deny there was rampant fraud. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it was pretty transparent. On both sides. On yep. both sides. I but agree. I mean, like, this is, you know, pretty transparent. Mm-hmm. And even if you didn't think that, that the accusations coming from a Brit and a Canadian weighing in and making these judgments that are pretty harsh. Yeah. And it's like, this is, I, I, I felt personally betrayed. <laughs> It's like, what happened to my hero? <laughs> hey, well, maybe this happened. Maybe exactly what we're talking about. Like, yeah. you know, like the infiltration of, of these resistant, like really to me, this whole thing is not just about like infiltrating militias. It's about any group or, or yeah. you know, or individual for that yeah. matter that has enough influence that they need to try to change their message or at yeah. the very least drive them in a certain direction or try to, you know, manufacture a reason to shut them down. Right. Yeah. So this says from 1991 to 1993, the FBI conducted an ambitious infiltration program codenamed PATCON, short for Patriot Conspiracy. The word patriot is an umbrella term, and this is their their term for it, not the, what, I, what I'm arguing or at this article even. Their term patriot was an umbrella label for a loosely defined movement of anti-government, racist, anti-Semitic, and or Christian extremists. Think how ridiculous that is. Like any 
Like, of course, they're using the term patriot, so they're applying it to who they would say is that. But okay. the term patriot of all things, like, isn't that offensive to you guys? <laughs> like, it's strange. It's so strange to me. But again, it shows you the reality is that they don't they don't really believe in these things. I don't think I actually, quite frankly, think the FBI has been an anti-American organization from day one. I mean, I've done whole shows on that, but um, the PatCon program is documented in extraordinary detail in thousands of pages of FBI records obtained through the Freedom of Information Act. Interviews with people involved on both sides of the infiltration supplement this information. PatCon consisted primarily of three FBI undercover agents posing as members of fictional extremist groups called the Veterans Aryan Movement. So they're pretending to be part of this movement. Three patriot groups were the primary targets of these three pretending to be part of the Veterans Aryan Movement. The Civilian Material Assistance, Texas Light Infantry, and the American Pistol and Rifle Association. So just by their names, it just sounds like, you know, like anybody that supports guns or freedom or, you know, who knows what they're involved in. I'm not familiar with the groups themselves. PatCon agents roved the country for more than two years. This speaks for itself, actually, collecting intelligence on those and other patriot organizations and on dozens of individuals investigating leads on plots from the planned murder of federal agents to armed raids on nuclear power plants to the new American revolution, of course. Despite spending hundreds of thousands of dollars and logging uncounted man hours, PatCon and related investigations produced negligible results in terms of serious criminal act convictions. I posit this is where they began manufacturing them. Because you can't, you you just basically spent years and hundreds of thousands of dollars on this concept that was defining what you were doing and it didn't really work out. So you start pressuring them. You Because right. look, what they're really saying here, and this is what goes on to talk about, is that, well, they're still a threat. Just because they didn't do it, yeah. they're planning stuff. They're talking about it. But I think they're involved with that planning. Right. But nonetheless, that's where it becomes, well, they're extremist talking points. So right. we have to push further. And so then they really got the mandate to justify going, well, what if we nudge them? Right. Somebody else could come along and nudge them. Right. What if we give them a weapon or give them a bomb and help them plan? Well, they did it. They were still going to do it. It's like, well, that's not true. Like there's a whole level of conversation, especially we get into like, I'll just quickly show you stuff like this. This is something this actually from the Free Thought Project 2018. And this is a horrifying story we'll come back to. Parents catch FBI in a plot to force their mentally ill son to become a right wing terrorist. It is exactly what it sounds like. And I've gone deep into this topic. The kid was I mean. I'll come back to it. It's but the point is that I think that's what they started doing, mm-hmm. getting people that were lonely, you know, that might be otherwise angry at the government for X, Y, and Z, mm-hmm. and they would push. And it says, uh, and instead, PatCon became an intelligence tool predicated on a series of suspected crimes, most of which were discussed but never committed. It's just right on the surface. The existence of PatCon was not formally disclosed until 2007. Another group deliberately discussed exotic threats in order oh this whole paragraph that's the end of it goes on to talk about how most of these groups were like i think we know there's an fbi agent in here like they're, mm-hmm. they don't know what's going on but they sense something's wrong and so it goes into all these things they did so in one of them which i thought was most important it discussed how they went above and beyond and it pretended to discuss exotic threats in order to provoke the fbi so doesn't that then explain half of what we're talking about anyway well, they're like pretending to do threats and attack let's go kill the senator and they're like laughing amongst themselves the fbi freaks out about it because they made it up all of this is the as, as Josh gave you know the shout out for this for breaking this down. I think is where we really get into the the manufacturing of the very events, like even going as far as as he discusses here, not just groups and what they would do, but whole events. Mm-hmm. Charlottesville, yeah, that's what one of these are. I think this is really important. Big shout out to Josh. I love his work. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> How an FBI informant created 
one of the largest Nazi groups in U.S. history. This is from the 25th, uh, 2023, September 25th. We've talked a lot about, you and I have talked a lot yeah. about the Charlottesville yeah. connection. Sure. Azov Battalion, direct yeah. tie to Charlottesville. The whole the the whole Rise Above Movement group is an arm of the of the Azov Movement. Yeah. It's provable. I've gone by over the CIA exactly. <laughs> We're and trained I, by anyway. <laughs> well, I have that here too. The, the yeah. documents prove the CIA has been cultivating fascist entities in Ukraine, starting with the Organization for Ukrainian Nationalists back in 1948 and forward, using Michael Lebed, who was an actual Nazi war criminal. The point is that not Charlottesville was like the creation of this domestic terrorism narrative in the United States, yeah. like the real. You know, going forward, they will not replace us. The replacement theory, even cars hitting protesters, remember? Like it yeah. all kind of spun out. Turns out an FBI informant confounded one of the largest and or co-founded one of the largest and oldest neo-Nazi organizations in the United States, which they say is the National Socialist Movement or S uh, NSM, a group connected to numerous crimes and violent events. No, go ahead. What's that? I just like literally like the American Nazi group. <laughs> Right, well, exactly, like, and that's the whole point: is that it's not real. It feels like they've yeah. manufactured this boogeyman, you know, which which doesn't mean that there's not people in it that espouse the ideology, yeah. right? But that it's that it's manufactured, you know. I just I think like the whole socialist aspect too. Like there's a lot of buzz, you know. The concept seems very like exactly what you might expect within the two party conversation, yeah. you know. Um, and then it goes. It says it connected to numerous crimes and violent events, including Charlottesville, the Unite the Right rally. So there's another aspect of the FBI being involved with the group that then led to what they did, which overlaps with what's going on in Ukraine. I just find that just so ridiculous. Um, the documents, a trove of FBI memos, affidavits, and court records that his publication was dubbed the Fed Files further indicate that the group, the National Socialist Movement, allegedly had informants in prominent positions throughout much of its nearly 50-year history, once known as the Hollywood Nazis, for its flamboyant demonstrations and crude propaganda. Think Patriot Front, guys. The new social... The, the, uh, National Socialist Movement has also been accused of being co-opted by the FBI in a lawsuit filed by former members who are now in prison. So it's very interesting to me. Yeah. Right. So, and now we've got this Patriot Front group that's very ridiculously with all the uniformity. Yeah, and, I mean, I even going to the Azov like, movement. Could you even change your outfits? Like, right. Well, that, that's like exactly what the FBI dress is <laughs> like. But then, saying. but then they also switched it up. I think they did like black pants the last oh, time or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's just it's, it's so, so anti garb. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. But so th this brings me to the whole larger point about like, so going back to Texas, yeah. the Patriot Front, and I'll include these articles about how obviously these groups and going to January 6th itself, where, you know, I very much think were operations meant to trap and, you know, in the whole thing. I think so. So, you know, any, any thoughts before I kind of just last couple points, I think, but, mm -hmm. you know, on is, what do you think? Is this happening? Is that, is that everything? Is that, you know, is that what you, go ahead. So I've never heard of Patriot Conspiracy. Uh, that's what I mean, Pat Con. Um, mm -hmm. But I mean, I always thought that there were intelligence operations that create, I mean, so little of what happens is organic because it's takes a, first of all, people are just disorganized. Like I've been part of groups, like big, mm -hmm. you know, groups trying to coordinate something and it's a clusterfuck, like my language, <laughs> but I mean, it is, it's just a, even, and most of these groups are former military, like they're very intelligent, organized people and they cannot get, you know, yeah, they cannot get shit together. Like it just <laughs> they can't do it. Um, so the only way to do that is with uh, you know, some serious backing and money. Mm -hmm. And so you have a, an intelligence operation, then it, it makes sense. There nothing else really makes sense. And these narratives just come out of nowhere and they have such an impact. 
And I don't think that that really happens organically either. Mm-hmm. It, on the, a very local level, maybe. I mean, if you live in one of these towns where everybody knows each their neighbors, like rumors start, and uh, you know, maybe you get some organic culture. Uh, but for the most part, I just don't see that that's realistic. Most mm. of what we're seeing are uh, events that are intentionally, uh, whether or not they're co-opted or or created from the inception. But oftentimes, I think they are created. To, I agree. You know, to incite a division, to uh, create some sort of either a, a trauma response or uh, to tr- entrap people into exactly. the plot. And, and this is what I'm most worried about with Texas right now, you know, is that you have these, you know, like depending on what actually ends up happening, if like groups come out and all of a sudden, you know, it just seems like the only groups I see like screeching immediately to civil war are the ones you might expect, right? Like the the specific right wing talking point kind of thing where, where there, I mean, there's no logical reason to immediately jump to civil war. Like that was like the day that started was like, wow, civil war, here it goes. It's like, wow. And if, you know, people just, some people went for it, but I, I wonder if, if, you know, groups come out, we should be very skeptical about who and why they're there. I really feel like this is part of what's happening. And I feel like, whether it's about distracting from larger things in the world or it's about just if you want to bring it to home, you know, people are saying, okay, this is happening, distract from, you know, other domestic problems. Either way, I think it's mostly about the election. And if you're looking at it from a domestic point about keeping us divided to make like right now, let's forget, not forget Biden has lost like a dramatic amount of support because of his support for Israel. Like well, it's and crazy. Let's not forget that you're not going to have an election if we have civil war. Well, that's too. Well, that, but see, isn't it funny that that was the, that was almost the narrative that preceded the civil war is that like, yeah. we're not even going to have an election this year. Oh, it's I so know. crazy. But now if they actually succeed right. in inciting civil war, they'll succeed in being able to hold, stave off an election. Yeah. Sure. Well, so you think that might be like the point? I think that's a huge point. Yeah. I, I read a great article by uh, Matt Taibbi yesterday and some things I don't agree with, but overall he made this great, like he just kind of outlined how ridiculous this game is right now where, you know, you remember the 2020 thing where it was like yeah. the, um, you know, the sh- Time Magazine, like the shadowy group that saved democracy. Uh, it was yeah. like they admitted to basically cheating. <laughs> and so laughed stupid. in our faces. So ridiculous. So his point is that now, and we all saw it then too, where yeah. it was like, well, they're going to cheat. So we have to cheat first to get ahead. You know, it's a, so it's just this kindergarten level mentality. Yeah. And so now he's, we can already see it. He basically just outlines the different conversations and how it's all, it's like a foregone conclusion. They're already pointing out how they're going to do this and they're going to do that. So we have to get ahead of it. But each side thinks they're right. In not, we're not cheating. We're responding to them cheating. You know, it's, it's well, ridiculous. Isn't this what the the whole defense is always the argument. Oh well, uh, they're going to create bioweapons, so we have to do it first. Exactly what I said in my show, or I use the the example of cluster bombs. Like so, so Russia's using cluster munitions, and it's a war crime, so we have to use them too. It's like, well, then you're just the same. Like you yeah. don't it doesn't matter who used them first. You're committing a crime. Yeah, but it just shows you that they're no better than whatever they say they're fighting. And quite frankly, I think they're worse than most. But in the, it's the it's the same point. Right. Mm-hmm. That overall, you know, it, it's it's it, if you cheat, you're cheating. So it doesn't if you know, but I, I can I understand like the the rudimentary logic of it. Like if we know they're cheating and you think you're fighting for freedom, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, well, we have to win because we have to we're the good guys, you know, okay. but that's what they want from you. You know, they want yeah. you to pit in and take this two party side. You know, I, I honestly don't know what the res- right response should be. You guys can engage with it as you see fit. But it's obvious we're being played. I mean, I think that's so transparent. And his point was that it's going to be like, they're already kind of floating the idea that we may have to like suspend democracy to save democracy. And that's where this kind of idea comes from that we won't have an election. We have to have war to have peace. 
Exactly. I mean, it's the same people making these ridiculous arguments, right? So oh, it's yeah. it's it's quite crazy. But well, here, we'll we'll end with this. So th- this is a, a good large example of the kind of thing we're talking about. Okay. Like if you if you haven't seen this, by the way, Dark, okay. Corbett's three part documentary. Oh, no. This is technically our watch along of all of them. Okay. And the third one, the third part came out on September 11th, the last one. Okay. But man, if you haven't seen these, yeah. it is there's not even a, there's no room for debate. It comes directly from their own documentation, from what they got caught doing. Al Qaeda, ISIS, any of these groups, they are man, they are proxy armies of the United States government, of Israel, of Western powers. It is right. on the surface. But again, that doesn't mean every individual member knows that and or is some part of it. Of the British intelligence as well. That's what I just yeah. Western. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, the British plays a prominent role for sure. Mm-hmm. But the point is that these are assets. Yeah. Osama bin Laden, you know, you go back, uh, they, uh, this is what blows me away. You go back to like Saddam Hussein. He was an ally until suddenly he was the biggest boogeyman in the world. Right. Same thing with him. He, the Washington Post called Osama bin Laden a warrior of peace. You, I, you'll still pull up the headline. And yet, you know, and so it's odd that their worst people in the world were mm-hmm. like, you know, think project paperclip in reverse almost. You know, yeah, <laughs> like, right, right. it just shows you that they don't really care. My point is that these people are manufactured to a large degree. And I think that's a lot of what's happening. And so I'll, I'll end by just showing you. We talked about this in July 2023, mm-hmm. how and why the FBI manufactures terrorism. Here's another one. Oh, no, I, I do want to point this out. So this this is a story that you should read. Okay. Shout out to Matt Agris. He did great work on this. This kid was autistic and slight. You know, he had a lot of issues. Yeah. He was uh, mentally, like not a child, but mm-hmm. wasn't ever going to mentally progress to being adult. Right. And lived with his parents. Didn't have any way to drive, any money, you know, and yet mm-hmm. they targeted this kid because right. he was lonely. And because, you know, people in this position often want, will seek out anybody who wants to be their friend, you know, and that's what they did. They sidled up next to him and they said, hey, buddy, you know, we, we're we best friends. And so he thought he had the fr- first time in his life he's got a friend, you know, and they start going, well, do you like this? Do you want, what do you think of these ISIS groups? You know, like and just forcing this stuff on him until the point was they drove him to like, you know, the point is you could see through the whole process. He probably was just saying, yeah, yeah, whatever they wanted okay. him to say. And then when it came to doing something, he was just like. Even though he was like, yeah, I agree, let's do it. And then it came to like doing it. He was like, no. no. So this kid was coerced, manipulated, never even once committed a crime. Everything came from their side. And yet they still tried to arrest him. They still tried to, you know, and the parents freaked out when they found out. The parents, free, they found this information about the, the back and forth. It's worth reading because it's terrifying that this can even happen. There's another example of a guy that was arrested for, um, planning to put like remote control cars with bombs at like some kind of new year's celebration. I forget. And same kind of thing. The guy was like, not really all there and, and was involved and bought certain things. And at the end he just was like, I don't want to do this. And then, then they arrested him. Well, he was planning it. He was getting ready. It's like, well, so now you guys don't even need him to accomplish anything. So it's like, you know, why even go through that process to arrest him because he has got stream extremist ideas, you know? But the point is it's very real. This was where I got that image from. This is from the intercept, the sting, how the FBI creates terrorists. And this one is also the intercept. Why does the FBI have to manufacture its own plots if terrorism and ISIS are such a great threat? Right. This is 2015. You know, I just think this is so transparent. And I really am worried about what's going to take place on the border and how that will be used against us. I mean, and really, everybody, anybody out there that's pushing back on narratives that they don't like, you're suddenly a domestic terrorist. If you get that kind of fervor going, like 9-11 level stuff to where it's like anybody brown is suddenly a threat. You know, mm-hmm. like it wouldn't be that hard to manufacture that. Well, maybe more so today. I'm very actually feeling a lot more positive about how much pushback we're seeing on a lot of these bigger yeah. topics, but I'm worried about it, you know? Yeah, I think the concern is valid, warranted, but I do think people are waking up, people are pushing back. I agree. 
I agree. Yeah. So that was the thing that the NAC withdrawing uh, of the proposal. Yeah. Indicated. Right. I think that was huge. Right. And as I always say, like with any of these conversations, whether that is in the indication of them recognizing they weren't going to succeed and, you know, letting you think you've gotten away, it's still, it's a win either way. You know, you had enough momentum to stop something you didn't want, you know, and so they regroup and try a different way. Yeah. And so it's like, that's kind of the best we get these days. You know, if, pausing if, if them you can for a at least push it back. <laughs> yeah, I mean, exactly. kick, even if you're kicking the can down the road, you're still kicking down the road. That yeah. gives us more time. I agree. Yeah. Well, I'd just like to end in general, like I said yesterday, you know, that, there's so much, we talk about a lot of stuff that can be pretty alarming, pretty unnerving, you know, but I really, I, I haven't stressed enough lately as I always used to that it all stems from a positive thing. Like we have to recognize how much change, like she's discussing that we can have on the outcome. If we truly cross party lines, you know, and, and I don't know, just do the right thing, you know, and I really do genuinely think that there's enough positivity, enough good people fighting for good things to not kind of be overwhelmed by all the negativity like it's easy to fall into it and i get it i mean we talk about a lot of unnerving scary things but there's i think underneath all of it is that we are stopping them you know so i mean i believe that i i feel like you can't defeat an enemy you don't know so i you know i I, people ask me this all the time they're like you seem really like positive and optimistic and cheery and you talk about such dark things Mm -hmm. and uh you know the way i see it is that you're shining light you're exposing the darkness you're exposing the corruption and uh, i don't think that we can stop it i don't think we can come up with solutions if we don't know what we're up against so i agree i don't see this from like a doom and gloom kind of a place i just i want to be able to encourage people to do their own research get Mm -hmm. involved take on something they're passionate about i mean there's i think by design we're in like bombarded with information and uh, there's psyops everywhere. Uh, but, you know, pick, so pick something you're particularly invested in and mm-hmm. passionate about and get involved and make a difference. Absolutely. Well said. It's a good point to end on. So, mm-hmm. and as uh, you know, we'll see you soon. I'm not sure what our time frame will be yeah. now, but we're going to, we're going to be, you know, setting up some new shows. We'll be back soon. And uh, remember always be a dissident. Yes. <laughs> see you next time guys. <laughs>